Good morning, ladies. Um, It's really good to be back with y'all again, especially walking through the Lord's Prayer. Um, You know, I grew up in a really small black AME church, and um, it had rich tradition and really, really long services. But at the end of every service, we would pray the Lord's Prayer, and we would do it in this, like, melodic kind of sing-song way, and I loved it. I had it memorized, and the ending was always my favorite because it was, like, more drawn out and more grand and beautiful. And so I just loved it. So fast forward to a few years ago, my kids are in Christian school and they're memorizing the Lord's Prayer. And I'm like, oh, this is awesome. So I'm sitting with them, helping them memorize it. And they get to the end and I'm like, well, you didn't say the last line. And they're looking at me confused and they're like, well, it's not in there. We don't have to say that. And I was like, I grab my Bible and I'm looking through my Bible and I'm like, where it's not in the Bible. So then I yell at my husband in the other room and I'm like, did you know they took out the last line of the Lord's prayer from the Bible? And he's, he laughs at me like y'all did. And he says, yeah. And he explains what Alice wrote in your study. And I'm like, well, somebody should have sent an email to all of us who have Bibles so that we would know that. Um, but anyway, that's just a funny story to just let you guys know that I love this last line. I grew up with it in my church tradition. And so for me, it has a really special place in my heart. And so I really kind of wish it was still there. But I'm excited to share with you guys today what the Lord has taught me through this last line and what I think he is teaching all of us. But before we discuss that part, I just want to take a moment to remind us why we pray the Lord's Prayer. When the disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray, he gave them this prayer. This is the prayer that Tim Keller says is a summary of all other prayers. And prayer itself leads us into a deeper relationship with God. It helps us know his heart and walk in his truth. So today's message might feel a little weird for you if you didn't grow up with that line in your Bible or if it wasn't a part of your church tradition. But like Alice said in your study, reflecting on this line offers us a chance to review and add depth to previously studied concepts of God's kingdom, God's power, and glory. So our passage from the New King James Version reads, For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So while I was working on this message, I was thinking, okay, this will be easy. We'll just hit it from top to bottom. Kingdom, power, glory. But as I sat with the Lord and listened to him, I began to to feel him kind of prodding me. And and it just became obvious that we needed to go backwards. um, And we needed to talk about glory before we could talk about kingdom and power. Because in order for us to accurately glorify God, we need to understand and have an accurate understanding of kingdom and power. If we don't understand kingdom and power, then we cannot really glorify God, at least not fully, right? And if we aren't bringing bringing glory to God, then we will inevitably glorify other things. We'll glorify ourselves, we'll glorify our families or our jobs. We were made, we were created to bring God glory. So then what does it mean to glorify God? So before we look at uh, the passage for today, I just want to define the term for you. To glorify something means to praise it highly, give it honor or status to an extreme degree. So when we glorify God, we set him apart. We hold him in high honor because there is nothing that can compare to him. Nothing can compare to him. 
And so in your study, there's a passage that Alice highlights that is going to be the focus of our time today, a passage that gives us a glimpse of what it means to glorify God and a model to follow. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to John 17, verses 1 through 5, and we'll read those together. So after Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. So the word glory is repeated a lot in that passage, and it can sound a little confusing with Jesus glorifying the Father so he can glorify him. But there are a couple of things that I want you to notice. That glorifying God first means knowing him, knowing who he is. In verse 3, it says, now this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So remember, I said to glorify something, you hold it in high honor. You set it apart and you praise it because it is valuable. How can we glorify God if we don't know him? The first step to bringing God glory is knowing who he is. And then the second part of glorifying God is finishing his work in the world. He has authority. He is the giver of life. And Jesus tells the father that he has brought him glory on earth by finishing his work, by finishing the work that the father gave him to do. Now, our job is not the same as Jesus, right? But we do have a specific role to play as we reflect the character and person of Jesus to an unbelieving world. So we bring glory to God by knowing him, acknowledging who he is and accomplishing his work in the world. And so as followers of Jesus, our greatest joy and goal should be to glorify God. Bringing glory to God is our primary purpose. And we bring God glory when we know him, acknowledge who he is, and accomplish his work in the world. That's it, right? That's easy, right? That that should be, right? But it's not. We know that it's not easy because there are a million things that distract us, that get in the way of our primary purpose of glorifying God. Inaccurate views of the kingdom and power take our eyes off of him and place them on things that have no power, on things that have no control, resulting in an inaccurate view of who God is. And then it impairs our ability to know him and to set him apart and to pursue his will for our lives and in the world. So let's go back to the beginning now. So we've talked about glory. So now let's talk about kingdom. What is the kingdom? Why does an inaccurate view of God's kingdom make it hard for us to bring God glory? It says in our um, story, in our study, in that last line, it says, for yours is the kingdom. And if you remember, we discussed kingdom back in lesson three when we read your kingdom come. And in this section, it means the same thing. It emphasizes the point even. In case you forgot what Alice wrote back then, I'm going to remind you. She says, the kingdom of God in a nutshell is life with God on the earth where he dwells and reigns with his people. It is, in a real sense, heaven on earth fully and ultimately realized when Jesus returns to reign as king with truth, justice, righteousness, peace, and love. For yours is the kingdom. 
The kingdom of God is life with God, where he dwells and he reigns, and the kingdom belongs to him. And you guys, the kingdom will be a monarchy. It will be a monarchy. And we won't get to vote him in and vote him out when we don't like what he does. He's king. And so, um, and God isn't just reigning in the future in a distant time. He reigns now. And in fact, he has always been on the throne. The Garden of Eden was his kingdom. This present era that we live in is his kingdom. And the new heavens and the new earth will also be his kingdom. It has looked different throughout the ages, but he has always been king. And all the nations that we know are his as well. America is his, Spain is his, Ethiopia is his, Mars is his. Everything that exists is his. Everything is within his grasp and it is his and it is under his reign. And so God has placed us in this kingdom and we have a role to play as well. We have a role to play as stewards. And so a steward is someone who manages or looks after the things or property of someone else. And our job is to be good stewards of God's kingdom. So we participate in the world, right? We work, we build relationships with the people around us. We engage in society and we try to bring order and beauty to the world around us. All the while reminding ourselves that we are stewards of this place and God reigns. And as stewards, we should always be asking ourselves the question, what can I do as a follower of Jesus to point people to the truth that God reigns? You see, sometimes we forget that this is his kingdom. Sometimes we forget that he reigns right now. And we begin to to live life as though God is not on the throne. And when we begin to live life that way, and when we forget that God reigns, we start to think that we reign or that our leaders reign, or that our, the presidents of our companies or the president of our uh, country reigns. And then we begin to give ourselves position and authority that was never supposed to be ours. And then we give our leaders position and authority that was really never supposed to be theirs. And we take that position and authority and we begin to build little kingdoms, right? So that we can rule in the way that we see fit. Um, I have to tell you, I have three kids. I have an eight-year-old, a seven-year-old, and a 22-month-old. And um, I have to confess that there are days when my home becomes my kingdom, right? I crown myself queen, and I begin to treat everyone like they are there to serve me. Seriously, there have been days where I have exalted myself so high that I just look at my kids, and I'm like, do that, do that. And I'm telling them to do all these things, and then when they, they don't do it the way I want, I'm like, no, do it again, or don't, you know. And I begin to micromanage every little detail of my house. And then I get frustrated when anything is out of place. And I told you, I have three kids. Things are constantly out of place. And so I'll get to the end of the day, and I'll sit at the end of my bed just reflecting on what I've done, on the kingdom that I have built and the position and authority that I gave myself that I should never have given myself. And I'm forced to face the way that I glorified myself, right? The way I ruled over my children and that my behavior that day didn't bring God any glory. And so I'll confess it to him. And then the next day reconcile things with my kids because I don't want them growing up thinking that I reign right? I know there are all the t-shirts and the swag that talks about mama being the queen, but I, I don't want them to think of me as the queen. I want them to know the king, right? And as much as I want to be the queen some days, 
I want them to know God and I want them, I want to reflect God to them. But maybe you're not a parent, right? And so maybe you're a CEO or a manager and you oversee people and you have a position of authority. What do you do with it? What do you do with that power? Do you rule? Has your workplace become your kingdom? What would your employees say? Does your leadership or management style reflect God? Does it help them know God or point to his kingdom? And then let's talk for a minute about the way we live in this world as it relates to the created systems and authorities. You know, when I was working through this study, I had a bit of a hard time with the section on earthly rulers and authorities. And I'm going to guess that I'm not the only one that struggled with that part. Scripture calls us to respect our authorities, to respect those who are um, in in authority over us, to submit, to seek peace, to pray for our leaders. And it also tells us in Acts that we are to obey God rather than human beings. And this can feel weird. This can feel like a contradiction. How can we do both? And I think many of us often choose one behavior or the other depending on the candidate that's in office, right? That's how we decide. But God is calling us to do both. They don't contradict. As stewards of God's kingdom, we participate in society. We vote, we pay taxes, and we don't hide from the world. We engage it. But remember, a steward takes care of the place that she is in, right? She doesn't just keep it the same and maintain the things the way that they are. She looks at it and she tries to make it better. So if this is God's kingdom and we are his stewards and we are tasked with accomplishing his will in the world, then it means that when we engage in society, it is our responsibility to examine things, evaluate them, and ask ourselves, does this reflect the kingdom of God? And if not, our next question that we need to ask is, what can I do as a steward of God's kingdom to make it better, to reshape it, or to change it? And I think if we're honest with ourselves, most of us go through our days comfortable with the way that things are and that we get angry when someone asks us to evaluate things. You know, um, when Pastor Barry introduced our new vision with a focus on multi-ethnicity, a lot of people got angry. A lot of people sent emails and made phone calls and had face-to-face conversations with him asking why he couldn't just leave things the way that they are. And his response to them was, well, God's kingdom will be a multi-ethnic community. And it's our job to begin pursuing that now. And so as stewards of God's kingdom, we should want to make things better, to be a reflection of God to the world. And so speaking of the world and multi-ethnicity, the past couple of years, we have seen the world explode, right? With emphasis and attention on race and race relations, and calls for us to examine our systems of life. And we've seen a lot of people get angry. And people say, let's just leave things the way that they are. And now I know in a room this size, there's lots of different opinions in that when we talk about systems and authorities in our country, that some of you might think things are just fine. But what I really want to challenge you today is to consider the things that are broken to consider that there are people who look like me who might experience life differently in our country and in our, in our church even, and then ask yourself, does this reflect the kingdom of God? You know, I actually ask myself that all the time. 
Um, it's, it's important that we as followers of Jesus and as stewards of God's kingdom live in the world in such a way that we can give one another glimpses of the kingdom to those of us in the church and to those of us outside that we can be pictures and glimpses of the kingdom. Because I have to confess to you that a few weeks ago, I confessed to the Lord that I don't know if I believe that God's kingdom will be a beautiful multi-ethnic community. I, I don't. I mean, I believe it in my head, right? I know that it's true because God says it's true, but in my heart, I doubt it because of the things that I've seen and experienced in the world. And I think to myself, I, I don't know that there is any way that this can be redeemed. This feels too big. And God, I know you can do a lot of things, but I don't know if you can do this, right? A multi-ethnic community that is beautiful, that is thriving, feels beyond his grasp. It's just too hard. And I believe that for a long time. And literally just a few weeks ago, I confessed it out loud to the Lord and to the community that I was around. And so, y'all, as stewards of this place, of God's kingdom, now and in the future, we must reflect his kingdom to one another and to the outside world. Because if I'm a pastor at this church and I'm struggling with the belief that multi-ethnicity can be redeemed, imagine what is going on in this room and in the world. We have to examine what is broken and then work to fix it. For me, it begins, excuse me, um, for me, it begins with trust right? Trusting God and trusting people, trusting that God is at work, even when I don't see it, that there are these beautiful, multi-ethnic, redemptive moments happening all the time. And that there are small things that both you and I can do as stewards to create those moments. First, we can look up. We can look up and look people in the eye. We can invite people into our homes, diversify our table, And we can listen and share stories and we can believe one another. And when we look up and we look across the table at different faces, at people who don't look like us, we can then ask one another, does our world, our country, our city reflect God's kingdom? And we can discuss together, what can we do as stewards of these places to create glimpses of the kingdom? For yours is the kingdom, is what it says. And kingdom work is hard. I'm up here and I'm emotional, more emotional than I was expecting. But kingdom work is hard. It's hard to be a steward. And it's exhausting at times. And we can feel overwhelmed and powerless. But the king has not abandoned us. He has given us the gift of his Holy Spirit. And his power lives in us if we are believers and if we follow him. And to glorify God, we have to have an accurate understanding of his kingdom, but we also have to have an accurate understanding of his power because his power is at work in us also to equip us to do things that we cannot imagine. You know, when I was in seminary, I took um, a Christian view of art class and um, it was one of my favorite classes. And my professor one day um, kind of segged away from talking about art to telling us a story. And he told us about a church. And I'm, I'm pretty sure it's in Russia. Um, and there's this painting there. And it's a picture of Mary, the Virgin Mary, and the burning bush. And he asked us, what do Mary and the burning bush have in common? And we were quiet. You know, we didn't know. And he told us that they both contained the power of God and were not consumed. 
And that's amazing, right? Like amazing to think about that the son of God lived inside the womb of a virgin and she didn't die, right? The sheer glory and power of God should not have been able to be contained inside of her. I mean, because if you think about the story of Moses, and this is another favorite story of mine, that when Moses asked God, asked to see God's glory, what did God do? He put him in the cleft of the rock, right? And he, he shielded him and covered him so that all that Moses could see was his back. Because if Moses viewed God in his entirety, he would die. He could not bear the magnificence and the glory of God. And so God has the power to do things that we cannot imagine. He can limit himself when he wants to, to not overcome a teenage virgin, but he can also unleash his power on the world and pay the penalty for our sin and then raise himself from the dead, reconciling the entire world back to himself. That's incredible. It's crazy. It's incomprehensible. And and the crazier thing is that This side of the cross, if we believe who Jesus says that he is, he lives inside of us. And that means we become like Mary. We contain the spirit of God, the power of God inside of us, and we are not consumed by it. We are empowered by it. It's amazing. But I think most of the time we live as though we don't have any power at all, right? We forget that. We doubt God's power in our own lives, and it leads us to try to do things in our own power. And when we do things in our own power, we forget that God is powerful. And it's like what one of my friends told me one day. She said, God becomes the person I call on when I've exhausted all my resources, right? When we can't do it, we call on God like he's the army reserves. We put him in um, to, to help us with a problem that's too big. And then when the problem is solved, we just put him back on the bench until we need him again. But how would our lives change if we believed in God's power? If we lived our lives in a way that tells others that God is powerful, not just for supernatural miracles, but for each and every day. It says for yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. So we did things kind of backwards. We started with glory and um, then ended with kingdom and power. And we started with this statement. It was just in order for us to accurately glorify God and accomplish his work in the world that we need an accurate understanding of kingdom and power. And so we've talked about how glorifying God means knowing him, acknowledging who he is, and that he is king over everything, and that this is his kingdom, and we are stewards of his domain, that he is all powerful, more powerful than anything we can imagine. And he lives inside of us, giving us the power to accomplish more than we can even imagine. So how do we take what we know of God, acknowledging who he is, and accomplish his work in the world? What is our assignment? So you guys know Kat Armstrong, and she actually makes a distinction between calling and assignment, because I think a lot of us can get stuck when we talk about accomplishing God's work in the world. My sister is an architect, and for years, she thought she had to do something in ministry in order to accomplish God's work in the world. Um, But through Polished and some friends speaking, you know, truth into her, she realized that she could work in a field that she loves and still accomplish God's work in the world. So Kat describes it this way. She says that our calling is to salvation. Our calling is to love God and love others and make disciples. That's it. Everyone has the same calling. And if you follow Jesus, this is your calling. But our assignments are different. Our assignment is how we live out our calling in the world. And our assignments change and vary from person to person. 
So your assignment might be as a stay-at-home mom. And you might feel weird because you're not out in the world. But the assignment of a stay-at-home mom combined with the calling to make disciples brings God glory. It brings God incredible glory when you pull out your morning basket and you pray with your kids and you play with them and you read them Bible stories. You're reminding yourself of who God is and you're acknowledging his position and power in your life and in the lives of your children. And then your assignment could be that of a student. And you feel like the world is just passing you by as you pursue higher education or a license for your career. And you begin to wonder if it means anything. But your assignment combined with your calling as a follower of Christ reaches into specific places that the rest of us can't go into. Classrooms, group projects, late night study groups. These are places where Jesus conversations happen, where relationships are built because you're in the same place. And if you're spending time with God to know who he is and then acknowledging him in the world, your classmates will see it. So what does this mean for you? What does this mean for you individually? How does this apply to you? What is your assignment? We know our calling, but I want each of you to think about what is your unique assignment and how can you combine God's calling with your assignment? The Lord's prayer ends with the line, for yours is the kingdom, the power, the glory forever. And so I hope that our time today has been an encouragement to you and has helped you see how impactful this last line can be. Even though it's not in most of our Bibles, it is retained in Christian liturgy and public readings because it is so important. It's important for us to remember that the kingdom belongs to God, that he reigns, that the power belongs to God, and that God alone is worthy of all glory not just today, but forever.